When we spoke with Pastor Harris, he, he told me I could start my message in Hebrew, and if I saw you understood me, I could just go ahead in Hebrew. <laughs> this, this word, shalom, that's a beautiful word. Anybody knows what it means? It means peace. That makes it so beautiful, because that's, I would say, main God's gift in Jesus. He made peace with us in Jesus. It's also a very useful word, because in modern Hebrew, the one which is spoken nowadays in Israel, it is used both to say hello and to say goodbye. So that makes it a very useful word. Sometimes we don't know whether we're coming or going. <laughs> we can still use it, and we are okay. My name is Carlos Morgenfeld, and I'm with Chosen People Ministries. Yes, we are one of the oldest Chosen People Ministries was founded 1894. That's over a hundred years old. I don't look that old because I cut my beard often regularly. But yes, this is a very um, old Christian ministry. And we share the gospel with the Jewish people since uh, our founder, Rabbi Leopold Kahn, he came to Jesus himself and having had the joy himself of entering into a relationship with God in Jesus. He wanted to share the good news with his Jewish people so that our people would also be able to get saved and to enter into the new covenant. This morning, I would like to share with you something about the Jewish Passover. And then we are going to be seeing also how our Lord used some of the elements that are used in a Jewish Passover so that he himself used them to institute the symbols of uh, the new covenant, uh, the bread and the fruit of the vine. If you recall, we have just read just a few minutes ago about the institution of the Jewish Passover in the old covenant. You will find that, I'm not going to read it now, but you're going to find that in Exodus uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, and the main uh, verses that I would like to share with you, there are a couple of verses. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt. And there it follows, afterwards follows the institution of the Jewish Passover. So my point there is, uh, this, this was not something the Jewish people came up with out of their own imagination, of their own minds. This is something that was commanded to us by God to um, celebrate every year for a purpose. We'll try to figure out what that purpose is, because believe it or not, different rabbis see different things and different purposes in, in the celebration. We read in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, I'm going to read now from Luke chapter 22nd <clears throat> and verse 7. We read there in the 22nd chapter of Luke, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And then in verse 13, they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. So what is this Passover thing? What is it about? It's a banquet. This was the way in which this uh, Celebration was kept. Uh, the family was supposed to come together, each family. Very nice dinner was to be uh, prepared. And we would be eating again 
what was the main dish of the first Passover, which was a lamb that had to be sacrificed while we were still slaves in Egypt. If you remember, there was a time in history when God's people, back then the Israelites alone at that time, they were slaves in Egypt. God wanted to bring them out of slavery. They were slaves there. He sent Moses to Pharaoh. Moses told Pharaoh that God wanted his people to be set free. And Pharaoh said he was a king. Pharaoh is a name for a king. He said, no, I will not uh, let them go. So what did that, uh, God do? Any, any of uh, the children here knows? What did God do then? He sent a plague. A plague to the Egyptians. So they were so scared. That was so scary that Pharaoh called Moses again and he said, Okay, okay, I'm going to let them go. Just take the plague out of our land. So God took the plague out of the land. But then, guess what? When the plague was not there, Pharaoh changed his mind. He said, I'm not going to let them go. And he did that ten times. Ten times he said, yes, I'm going to let them go. Then when the plague was taken out, because God needed to send ten plagues, he would change his mind and he would not let them go. Finally, God decided he was going to send a very hard, terrible plague. The Egyptians had been killing the children of the people of God. They had been killing the babies, the male babies of Israel in Egypt. So God said, I'm going to send the angel of death, and now it's my turn, I'm going to be killing their firstborn. He commanded Israel to do something very strange. They had to get a lamb, they had to sacrifice the lamb, to put the blood of the lamb in a basin, and they had to paint with an hyssop the blood on the doorposts of the houses where they were celebrating this dinner. So that night, the angel of God passed over the land of Egypt, and just as God had told them, if they don't let my people go, I'm going to kill the firstborn. They didn't let them go, so he killed the firstborn in every Egyptian house. Everyone. However, wherever the angel saw the blood on the doors in that house, he passed over it. So that's where we get the name Passover. There was no dead one in that house. So as a memorial of the way God delivered his people, because after that happened, the Egyptians got so scared, they thought they were about to die, all of them, that they asked the people of God to leave the land. So they were set free. And so God instituted this as a memorial to be observed by the people of Israel every year, the same month, the same day of the month, so that they would be teaching their children what they had not seen themselves. That's the way in which a people grows and makes the history of their forerunners also the history of their descendants. So, during this dinner that uh, we were just reading that our Lord Jesus wanted to celebrate as the last thing he was going to do on earth out of his own freedom and will before he was going to the cross, God had told in the same chapter of Exodus where the uh, Passover was instituted, he had told that their children, the children of the Israelites were supposed to ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? So that they would understand that, what they were doing. And then the answer was told also in the next verse. It says, tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord 
who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So this is, in short, the meaning of a Passover, a Jewish Passover. We read that our Lord wanted to celebrate it, so he sent Peter and John to prepare the place. What is this preparation about? Well, he instructed us to do something else. He instructed us to take, during this uh, season, to take anything that had any leaven or yeast out of our homes, out of our land, and to burn it. So when Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare the Passover before they ever get there, what he's saying is clean the place according to what God has told us to do, that no leaven is to be found in your habitations during this season. So they would take anything that had leaven or yeast, take it out of the home and burn it there. Now, why would God command to do something like that? I must say with sorrow in my heart that something that I'm sure it's easy even for some of our children to understand. Because if you think about it throughout scripture, leaven is a symbol of sin. So what God is telling us is that we, he's a holy God, he hates sin. We need to get rid of sin. We need to clean our lives as people of God, as his holy people, we need to start a trip into his likeness, to be changed ourselves into his likeness. So there's a basic struggle in the life of a believer that has to do with his being against sin, just seeing sin the way God sees it. Something harmful, something wrong, something evil, we are not going to allow that to happen in our homes, in our families, in our lives. So that's what is being taught by that aspect of the Passover. No leavened bread is allowed. All leaven at the table is going to be unleavened bread. Now, let's say the place has been cleansed. And so we have got to the home. We are all there ready to start the Passover. The first thing that we would do, the presiding person would do, is to do a ceremonial cleansing of hands. He would have a basin and a pitcher of water, and he would ceremonially clean hands before he gets started with anything that has to do with food or placing the table. Now, if you remember, when Jesus got there, he was not so worried about cleaning his own hands. He did something else. Does anybody remember what Jesus did? What's that? He washed the feet of the disciples. And he said why he was doing that. I want to give you an example. Now we're talking here of the creator of the universe. The king of kings and lord of lords who comes on a visit. And he's acting like what? Like a servant. He not only goes to the cross to take my place, to pay my debt. He was going to do that. But he even washes the feet of the disciples. He said, I want you to learn this. You have to serve one another. That's what a disciple of mine is supposed to do. Now, I've seen that some people, congregations, take this literally. And so what they do, they set up a particular service where they literally wash feet. They do that. I, I have nothing against it. I mean, you know, I have running water at home. I don't need that. Most of us do. But I think we should read between lines. What was he trying to say? I think he's referring to the spirit of servanthood, rather. 
And I think that when it comes to that, we all have something to learn and there's something that we all and each one of us can do. Whether you are a grown-up or you're a child. Even if you're a child, you can still do a lot of good. Like, I'm not talking here of, you know, doing anything complicated like, you know, a particular thing. But you can pray for your parents. You can do whatever is required or ask for you from you at home. You can help in the house. You can do your best to make your house a happy home. And that's going to bring blessing over your own life and over your home. And you're going to be surprised. All the good that you can do just by deciding, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm little, I can't do a lot of things, but what I can do, I'm going to start today. Maybe you're a grown-up. Again, I don't think you need to wash anybody's feet. But, you know, if you think about it, you'll figure out who you know of, whom you can help, whom you can make him benefit of your friendship, of your relationship. In other words, reaching out to somebody the way God reached out to us. He didn't reach us to me because he needed me. Let me tell you, he did not. Not at all. But he reached out to me because I needed him. Well, that's the way a servant heart is supposed to reach out to people. You know, figure out whom you can do some, some good to, you know, in, in a way that sometimes doesn't even need to be noticed. But, you know, maybe can I give you a ride or, you know, I noticed that this or that uh, and I thought I could help here or, hey, heard you moving next uh, Sunday and I have nothing to do. Of course, you have a lot to do, but... And, and I thought that it would be fun for me to help you <laughs> move your stuff. You know. Whatever. You'll figure out. So, he taught us there to be serving so that he could rejoice his heart in us, in what we do and how we live. So, we would wash hands. The next thing we would need to do is to light the candles that represent the presence of God amongst us. And I would love to light the candles, but I'm not allowed by Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition is that a lady needs to light, to light this candle. So I'm going to ask now our sister, Diane, if she could please light the candles of this Passover for us. Thank you very much. After lighting these candles, uh, she, the woman of the house, recites a traditional Hebrew prayer which goes like this. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kideshanu BeMitzvotav, Betzibanu Dealik Ner Shel Yom Tov. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your commandments and commanded us to light the Passover candles. It's very fitting that a woman kindles these lights, because this reminds us that the Messiah, the light of the world, would come not through the seed of man, but through the seed of the woman. And by the will of God, as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a child, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And he would be a light to lighten the nations and the glory of thy people, Israel. So, once we, we have the candles light, first thing we would do, we would start by drinking in a Jewish, I need to tell you the truth. I need to, you know, to ask forgiveness if the tradition of the church doesn't like it. But in a Jewish Passover, we drink real wine. All right. The only condition is it has to, to be red. Why do you think it needs to be red? 
because it's a reminder of the blood of the Lamb. So, in a Jewish Passover then, the first thing, the next thing to do, we will be drinking during the ceremony four cups of wine. Those are going to be drunk at a certain time, a precise time in the ceremony. And because of that, the ceremony which follows a very precise order, in Hebrew is called the order. That's the name of the ceremony. The Hebrew word for that is seder. Seder in Hebrew means order, and this is what we call the seder of Pesach or Passover. The first cup is known as the cup of blessing. Then comes the cup of plagues. Then we would drink the cup of, the cup of redemption, and last, the cup of uh, praise. So, first cup, we hold it aloft, and we offer a blessing to God who created the fruit of the vine. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Boreperi agafen, Amen. And we drink the wine, and then we would tell the story of Passover, which we would be reading from this book. We call it the Agadah. Uh, Agadah in Hebrew means, means the telling, which means any head of household can uh, celebrate this at home because he, all he needs to do is to read it from the book. And then we would be calling one of the children. This is a, a family ceremony where the children participate a lot. So we would be calling one of the children, usually the youngest children present, the youngest uh, child present. We would ask him to ask the traditional four questions. Uh, the rabbis say we call the youngest because we don't want to embarrass the grown-ups. <laughs> Which happens, you know. Sometimes we ignore a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, I have heard... Never seen it, but I have heard that some people would not even stop their car for directions. So, you know, we don't want to embarrass the grown-ups. So we, we asked a child. The child is never, you know, embarrassed to ask. And he will give us an opportunity to explain the meaning of Passover. So he would ask the traditional four questions. We have four cups and four questions. And these are chanted as well. And the first question goes like this. Manishtana halayla haze, mikoho lalailot, mikoho lalailot, which means, why is this night different from all other nights? And then those of us who know the story of Passover will answer. This is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. When he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. One of the items that we find in a Passover seder is this one here. This is a pouch, and inside it are three layers of unleavened bread. Each one is separated from the others by some cloth. At a Passover celebration, the father goes for the unleavened bread in the middle. This is how they look like, look like giant crackers. And he recites a blessing over the bread. Amen. He breaks it in two. He sets one half aside and he gives the other half a special name. He calls it the Afikomen. Now try say that word after me, alright? Afikomen. Good. I see you all speak Greek. For this is not a Hebrew word, this is a Greek word. What we do, we wrap it up in a white cloth 
and we hide it from you. We would ask the children to leave the room for a second, for a minute, so they don't see where we hide it. We would hide it somewhere, and then we would call them back into the room, and we would tell them to pay all their attention to the explanation that we are giving, because at any time, no warning, we're going to give them permission to look for the afikomen. And the first one who finds it and brings it back to the father will receive an award, a prize. And this is a, a centuries-old trick that has served us to keep the children's attention on what the father is explaining. <laughs> this, uh, of course, they get their prize, but uh, it works. So this, this morning I'm bringing it to the Sunday school teachers. So we would explain at this time about the first lamb that was sacrificed in Egypt. And uh, interestingly, you know, the Israelites had to apply the blood of that first lamb with a hyssop to the doorpost of their homes. First to the top of the doorpost, that's the lintel, and then to the two side posts. And of course it was because of our obedience to God's command and because of our faith in the effectiveness of his provision that we were spared the ravages of the tenth plague that befall the land of Egypt. I don't think that my people have noticed that even by the way they were applying the blood, they were drawing the sign of a cross. And of course, that lamb that had to be sacrificed in Egypt was a type. It was given to us so that as we would reflect every year, year after year, on the lamb and what it meant, eventually we would, it would help us to understand the ministry of Mashiach, that's Messiah, the Christ, when he would come. That he would have to die on a cross so that the debt of my sin would be carried and paid in full by God himself. So that whoever would place his faith on his work on the cross would receive forgiveness of sin, would receive as if it were the applying of his blood to the doorpost of his heart. So that when God's judgment over sin on earth would pass... When it comes to us, it would pass over us. On a celebration, a Passover celebration, we would have to eat some special food items before we can go to the actual dinner. There are some uh, fresh food items that everybody at the table has to participate on, and they are placed here. This is called a cedar plate. As you see, it has six compartments. They need to be placed here, or they're usually placed there. And then before we can participate of the actual banquet, which comes later, we all have to eat these uh, delicacies. What do we have here? We would have to eat these uh, greens. We call these hazeret or greens. And these greens represent life. Before we eat them, we dip them into salt water, which represents, some rabbis say, the tears of life. Some others say it's a reminder of the Red Sea crossing. So anyway, we dip the symbol of life into the symbol of tears, and then we eat it as a reminder that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. Then we would eat the bitter herbs that come together with this celebration. We would have any bitter herb, such as uh, an onion or horseradish, and by eating it, it will also become a reminder of the slavery in Egypt. And then we would eat horseradish, freshly ground horseradish. Ever tried it? There's something special about horseradish. 
when you, you know, every person at the present, uh, present at the table is supposed to eat a tablespoonful of horseradish. And I've noticed that when you eat it, it's like a battle that starts between the horseradish and your sinuses. <laughs> because you end up crying. I mean, it's, it's usually the horseradish that wins this battle. So, this also becomes a reminder of the bitterness of the life of slavery of which we were delivered by God in Egypt. And I think it's useful for us as believers to use some of this uh, symbolism to remind ourselves that we can be rejoicing today and we can be uh, safe and secure in God's hands today because there was a day when we were rescued, because there was a beginning, a day when God took us out of slavery and bondage. And it's always good to remember, to go back there and to say, I remember now, you know, what God delivered me from. Because we tend to forget. That renews a grateful heart. When we remember all what God delivered us from. It also helps us to think of those who have not yet been redeemed by God. To think of them and to feel the sense of urgency to bring them the message of redemption. Next, we participate of this item here, which, if you can see it, it definitely looks like mud, right? <laughs> it does. It's supposed to. Now, it's made up of chopped apples, raisin, nuts, honey, and it tastes delicious. Cinnamon. This is a reminder of the mud that the Israelites had to use when they were slaves in Egypt, and they had to make bricks with their bare hands. A question here that sometimes rabbis are asked is, why do we use such a sweet mixture to represent such a bitter toil? The answer they have come up, even the bitterest toil is sweetened with the promise of redemption. My brother, my sister, you may have gone in the past, you may be going now, or you may have to go in the future through some really bitter experiences. If that ever happens, bring back to your mind the reality of the redemption we have ahead. Because that's the only thing that would help us see our present toils, problems in the real perspective and put them where they have to be. Even the bitterest toil will then look sweeter. The next item is this which we call the Hagiga. Uh, this is uh, an egg. We roast the egg. That turns it brown. Hagiga was the name given to the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. So this is a reminder of those sacrifices. During Passover, we break the egg, and this becomes a reminder of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But then we open it up and we eat it, and then inside we find the symbol of a new life. So all that symbolism is contained in this sacrifice symbol or reminder. And the last item is uh, this one. This is called the Zeroa. This is the shank bone of a lamb. During our Lord's times, the lambs that were eaten at Passover were the temple sacrifices. But in 70 AD, the Romans came and they, they destroyed the altar and the temple. From that day to this time, no more sacrifices have been offered. The law of Moses forbids to offer sacrifices out of the temple. And because of that, no lamb is offered or served at Passover. So this bone here becomes a reminder of the first lamb that was sacrificed in Egypt. So these two, they raised an interesting question. 
with no temple, no altar, no sacrifices, how are we supposed to atone for our sins? And, of course, there would be no answer, no human answer, possible answer, since there's no, not a temple, unless we knew that some 2,000 years ago, there came a, a Jewish man, his name was Yohanan, maybe you know him better by John, John the Baptist, and one day, while he was baptizing in the river Jordan, his gaze fell upon another man, Jesus, so he called his disciples he called them and he said, remember I told you that after me one was coming who was bigger than I, one who was going to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Well, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he pointed out to Jesus. So that's the only way in which we can atone for our sins. Not with animal sacrifices, but with a Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah. So, after we have participated of these uh, symbolic pieces of food, we would then go for the second cup. If you remember, this is called the cup of plagues. Now, this cup is drunk in a different way than all other cups. The way we drink it is this. At this time, we're going to be remembering the plagues that were poured over the Egyptians and the rabbis say we are never to rejoice over the suffering of others, not even of our enemies. So how are we going to, are we going to express this? The way we express this is we have a content of wine here. Wine is a symbol of joy. What we're going to do at this time of the service, we're going to dip our pinky. Everybody does that with his own cup. We dip our pinky on the, on the wine, on the content, and we drop the content ten times, one for each plague diminishing thus the content of joy of this cup ten times. If you would like to participate with me of the second cup, let's take our imaginary cup on our left hand now, and let's prepare our pinkies. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to name one by one all the plagues, and as I name them, you're going to dip your pinky on your cup, and you're going to drop a drop out of the cup. All right? Let's rehearse, okay? We're going to be rehearsing. So I would say... First plague was blood, so I'm going to say, blood. And you're going to say, blood. And then you drop it out, okay? Okay, let's rehearse. Blood. Good. Let's go ahead. Frogs. Lice. Flies. Cattle disease. Boils. Hail and fire. Locusts. Darkness. Darkness. Slaying of the firstborn. Well done. This way, after 20 years, you learn by heart the ten plagues. After the second cup, then we would be eating our real meal or banquet. Unfortunately, this year we're not having the banquet. So, having said that, let me go ahead with the second part of the uh, service. So, we... Let's imagine then that we have already uh, dined. We have already had our dinner. We would not now then be looking for the uh, third cup. The cup taken after dinner. The cup of redemption. But before we can do that, let me remind you that something is missing. Earlier today, something was broken, buried, 
and now it needs to be brought back to the table. Does anybody remember what that was? You all said it. This is a time when we give permission to the children to look for the afikomen. And uh, they would look around for it everywhere, you know, behind the refrigerator and uh, everywhere. Finally, one of them will find it, bring it back to the father. He will receive his award. Then the father will take it out, break it in pieces about the size of an olive, give it to every person present at the table, so that later on they will be eating it together with the third cup. Does this sound familiar? Now, even the unleavened bread, a symbol of a sinless life, speaks of Jesus. The rabbis have set up specific regulations for the uh, matzah or unleavened bread to be found suitable for use at the Passover seder. First, it has to be pierced. Jesus was pierced. As the word of God says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. It also has to be striped. Jesus was striped. As it is written, with his stripes we are healed. But not just the uh, Masatosh, the peace chosen, of course, at this time of the service by Jesus presiding, has a symbolism, but when you think about it, we can consider also the Matzatosh. Remember the pouch from where the middle layer was taken? There are three layers, there were three layers of unleavened bread on, uh, in it at the beginning. So the rabbis, of course, they have an interpretation. Some say that these, uh, that these uh, three layers represent the three crowns that you can obtain, a man can obtain in this life. The crown of a king the crown of a learned person, or the crown of a priest. But that does not explain why the middle layer is broken, buried, and then brought back. Others have come up with a creative interpretation that these three represent the three patriarchs. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My problem with that is that Isaac was finally, for those who were present during the Sunday school time, he was finally not broken. He was this close to be killed. Remember, he, Abraham was told to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, but at the last minute that didn't happen. So that does not explain why the middle layer is broken. So all these explanations, they are very creative, they're very poetic, very nice, but they don't explain it. So is there an explanation for that? Well, I think there's something that the Holy Spirit is suggesting as a possible explanation for that. There's three layers there, but because they are together, they form a unity. The word found in the Hebrew Bible for unity is also the same used for uh, the oneness of God. The holiest of the prayers taught or prayed today by the people of Israel is the one that says hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one that's the holiest of all prayers of Israel uh, if you would go to a synagogue when it is recited it would sound something like that like this Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu 
Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Echad. But this word used for one here, Echad, may also mean a unity. And the night of Passover, the middle layer of this unity is made visible, while the other two remain hidden from view. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I think the Holy Spirit is showing us that the meaning of these three layers that form a unity here is to remind us of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being one. Why is the middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? I think because Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was broken, then buried, then, praise God, brought back. So, this then was, and probably this was the reason why, Jesus chose this piece of bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, and you, and you, do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, and he said, this is the, the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink it, in remembrance of me. And he was certainly referring to the new covenant that had been announced by God centuries earlier through the prophet Jeremiah when he said days are coming says the Lord this is in Jeremiah 31, 31 days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant which I make, made with the fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant which they broke but this is the covenant which I will make with them after those days I will put my laws within them and in their hearts will I write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So this was the new covenant that was being fulfilled on a Passover night, a Passover dinner, a Passover seder by Jesus when he instituted these symbols. And then would come the last cup. A cup of praise. There is a Hebrew word which you all know. Uh, the word that we use in Hebrew for praise. And uh, I wonder if you know, you can recall, you can imagine what that word is. Does anybody figure out? Okay, this is a cup of Hallel, or the cup of praise. And the word we use for praise is Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, praise God. That is where this word hallelujah comes from. Praise. So we would drink the last cup. And then the service would be over. Except there's one cup I didn't tell you about. The fact is that there's another cup. That is placed on the table. Filled to the top. With a complete place setting on it. Uh, aside it. But nobody drinks from that cup. Nobody sits there. That's the cup prepared for Elijah the prophet.
For if you recall, Elijah didn't die, right? Elijah was caught up into heaven. So, according to prophecy, Elijah will come back as a forerunner of Messiah when he comes. So, at this time of the service, the uh, father, the residing person, would ask uh, one of the children present to go to the door of the house and to open it wide and see if Elijah has returned. But before he would do that, we would have to call Elijah. And the way we call Elijah is with a song. The song says, Oh, Elijah the prophet, Elijah from Gilead, Elijah from Tishbe, may he return soon and in our days with the Messiah, the son of David. And the song, it's a prayer, uh, uh, a sung prayer goes like this. Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishvi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Agiladi, Pimeru Beyomeinu, Yabo Eleinu, Imashiach Ben David, Imashiach ben David. So when the song is over, we ask the child to go to the door, open it wide, and see if Elijah has returned. Well, let me tell you, for hundreds of years now, thousands of years, the children have gone to the door, open it wide, just to come back and say, Dad, there was nobody there. And that becomes a sad moment. Father says, well, don't worry, maybe next year. And it's sad, you know why? Because you and I know that Elijah has come. For when Jesus taught about John the Baptist, he said, if you care to accept it, he is the one Elijah who has come. The prophet, the forerunner has come, and so has the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, you know it, I know it, my Jewish people still doesn't know it. Please Help us. Let them know that Messiah, Messiah has come and that they too can find salvation in Jesus. May God bless you. Thank you very much for your invitation. May you have a great week.